Hello, I'm Niall Brown, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. Von Stein is a man who has worked his way up the filmmaking ladder. He started off as a runner on set, before becoming an assistant director, and then moving on to directing. In 2018, Vaughn directed Terminal, starring Margot Robbie and Simon Pegg. In 2020, he directed Inheritance, also starring Simon Pegg and Lily Collins. And now he's back with Every Breath You Take, another thriller. This time it stars Casey Affleck, Michelle Monaghan and Sam Claflin. Every Breath You Take is a twisty-turny thriller, the type they really don't make anymore. It has elements of Hitchcock and Polanski, and it's got some incredibly stunning visuals as well as wonderful performances from its central cast. I caught up with Von Stein over Zoom, and we discussed the making of Every Breath You Take, and what it's like making this type of grown-up thriller outside of the Hollywood system, what it would be like to play with the big toys in the special effects arena, and also about independent filmmaking. It's a wonderful chat that I really enjoyed, and I hope that you can enjoy it too. Hey, can you hear me? I can indeed. Can you hear me? Oh my God, it's amazing. Zoom has not failed us. Hey. No, for a change. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you for taking the time today to, to talk about the film. That's a pleasure. I um, I thought it was great. It's, it's totally right up my street, that, that sort of thriller aspect with the type they don't really make anymore. This has the feelings of a Stonewall classic. You know, it's built on those two pillars of, of great character and great story and then great rug pulls and twists and turns and when you sort of blend those two elements say yeah I think you have something really special and hopefully we were, we were able to execute. No I mean that, that was the thing about it. it it was a great thriller but what you managed to do was you got to the last act and then you tweaked it you, you surpassed the expectations of the audience or from my perspective anyway was that something that you were conscious of as well to kind of give people what they thought, and then that little bit more? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I love, I love doing that as a filmmaker. I think, I think that's probably like a guilty pleasure of mine as a, as a viewer and, and as, a, as a filmmaker. And I love, you know, I love books that surprise me. I love movies that surprise me. And when you, when you can lead the audience down the garden path and you can subvert expectations and sort of pull the rug at the last moment, I, yeah, I, I do enjoy doing that. And, and this, the script had a brilliant turn in it, you know, built, you know, built within it. And we sort of tailored our movie to make sure we could really, you know, we could really make that land, I hope. Yeah, no, you, I mean, one of the things watching it that, that I got was, like you said, that, that twist at the end. And I mean, I, I hope, I mean, this is a compliment. It had that Polanski um, feel to it. It very much felt like a Roman Polanski film to me. Um, was that the type of thing that you were after? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, you know, <laughs> elements of Polanski aside, I mean, he, you know, as a as a as an auteur, he he is a brilliant filmmaker, a brilliant thriller maker. Um, and I think I think for me, where you know, one of the places I lent was on was on Hitchcock, which that was a real touch point for me, um, especially because there were sort of elements of of the classic thriller about this and. You know, I sort of I thought about Rear Window in particular, and you know the way the way the world sort of disintegrates around you know around Jimmy through Jimmy Stewart's eyes, you know, and um, I thought about Marnie as well, and I thought about Rebecca, and you know, there's there are those elements to 
to, to, to many, many great thrillers of sort of watching, you know, a character, a protagonist watching their world disintegrate after the antagonist enters it. And whatever they do, there's this sort of slow moving train of inevitability coming towards them. And everywhere they turn, you know, things are going wrong. And, you know, so blessed to have um, Casey Affleck in the role as, as Philip, this sort of bereaved psychiatrist who's trying to, you know, bury himself in his work. And, and then Sam Claflin, who plays James, uh, one of his uh, one of his uh, patient's brothers, uh, who sort of inveigles his way into his family's life and everything begins to kind of unravel from the moment he enters. And yeah, I find that kind of darkly delicious. Like that's something I really enjoy playing with. Yeah, it's, it's like a home invasion movie, but without the home being invaded, it's almost like a psychological home invasion movie, which I, I thought was a brilliant aspect to it. I also got a tiny hint of... Um, straw dogs from <laughs> Casey Affleck was dressed and was, was that a conscious decision? That was, it, was, it was a nod for sure. It was definitely a nod. Uh, and you know, I, I, I used to uh, sort of joke with the, with the cast and the cinematographer Michael Merriman as well. We were sort of making a, a, a kind of a shy Cape Fear. <laughs> sort of one of the ways that we, we described it was, you know, kind of has those straw dog vibes as well. But you know, it's, I think Cape Fear is, is, is an amazing, amazing film. And, and you know, that idea of, of, of again, that, you know, the central character being unable to stop his family, his life, his livelihood sort of disintegrating slowly around him. Like, you know, there's something very unnerving, I, th I think, as an audience, you know, as a viewer, when you're, you, are, you know what the problem is, but you cannot do anything about it. It's like a bad dream. It's a nightmare. You know, whatever you do, whichever way you turn, he's always there, you know, he's always stalking you. He's always, you know, doing something behind the curtain. And I mean, one of the things that Sam Claflin was so good at, because there was that sort of edge to him, yet he, he did seem like a wounded character. How, how did the cast come together? How, how did you, I mean, presumably Casey Affleck was hot off the Oscar when, when, when he was cast. How did it, how did it all happen? Um, I mean, it's, it always comes back to script, right? It always comes back. If there's a great story, you know, world-class actors, which which these guys are, and Casey and Michelle and Sam and India and Veronica, they they're attracted to great material. And you know, I I remember, you know, the first time I, I sort of spoke to Casey and, and and what really interested him, what he brought out so brilliantly was the the reality of the situation, you know, like playing the truth of it. Like this this wounded and bereaved man who's buried himself in his work, who, who then watches his life begin to fall apart. Like, you know, the, the grief at the center of every breath is, is so potent and so beautifully written and brilliantly performed, you know. I think when you have parts like, like this, like Michelle who played, who played Grace, did such an amazing job of sort of, you know, bringing that humanity that, you know, great thrillers come out of great drama. Like you have to care, you have to be empathetic, you have to, really be invested in this this family so that when their world gets turned upside down you give a shit you know and and i think you know i'm so grateful to the cast for you know to the, the, the clerks for doing that and to sam for you know it's, it's it's a it's a really complicated role it's a very complex character you know as a villain he he has to move you know through the whole spectrum from you know vulnerable and wounded and brokenhearted to this sort of chameleon this kind of you know this master villain this Machiavel who's and everything in between and he's got to be charismatic and he's got to be 
confident and then at other times he's he's all things to all men he can change himself to fit the situation and and I think he did that brilliantly you know like he, he's a he's an amazing villain and yeah. very handsome which always helps well that's it yeah because <laughs> you, you can see how he can come into to the Casey Affleck character's life and suddenly his, his daughter and his wife they're, they're kind of captivated by him because of, of who he is was he English in the original script or is that something no, we, we tweaked it, actually. We tweaked it because, um, well, for, for, for a variety of reasons. We thought it'd be sort of interesting to bring, it sounds so ridiculous, but a sense of, you know, otherworldliness to it. But he was clearly different. You know, he, you know, and he sort of had that, that sort of Tom Ripley feel of, you know, the, you know, well, the American abroad, but, you know, the Englishman abroad. And um, we, wanted to, we, we wanted to play with that. We wanted to utilise that to our advantage in terms of, well, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but, but various story aspects. Um, so, no, that, that, was a, that was a choice that we made, Sam and I, um, that I think is a, is a nice nuance to it as well. Yeah, because, again, because he was English, you, you didn't know... The, the different aspects of where the character was going. And I think that that kept you on the back foot as it went towards that last act where, where, where kind of things separate, again, without giving too much away, just to... Uh... Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, we, talk, we talked about um, Ed Norton and Primal Fear as, as a reference, not, a, not, a, not specifically with accent and stuff, but the way, how much fun it is to hide things in plain sight. And I think that Sam, I mean, he is an incredible actor and an absolute gentleman as well. But the the way that he was able to sort of move between these these different modes of behaviour was 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 amazing. And going back to the, the other members, of the cast, Casey Affleck and Michelle Monaghan, they obviously worked together in um, Gone Baby Gone. Were were they? Did they come at it separately as, as different actors or was it something that they wanted to reunite and this was the best project for that? I mean, I mean they're, they're really good mates and you can, you can feel it in the, in the energy. Ironically, you know, they play a completely inverted version of that. But, you know, the way, the way they bounce off each other and the way they are and how warm and kind of welcoming they were you know, to sort of all the cast and crew around them. They're lovely, lovely people. But yeah, it, that pre-existing relationship um, was definitely a big help to us. Like, you know, look, it's independent films. They're always, there's never enough time, there's never enough money, you're always chasing the lights. So where there's pre-existing relationships and where there's trust that you can work with and build on, I think that's, that's great to have, you know. Yeah, I mean, they, they did have, you, you could tell there was a relationship there, even though it's, it's fractured to begin with. And I thought that that must have been kind of good for them to, to come together as actors again. I'm going back to, you just mentioned it, low budget film. It looks phenomenal. What sort of budget were you working with? Because you managed to sort of squeeze every bit of, every bit of production value out of it. Uh, do you know, I, with, I do not know, is the, my honest answer. Like, it, it, look, it, it, was not, uh, it, it was not what it looked like, I can, I can tell you that. But it, it, look, it's, it's, about, it's about precision and execution. It's about having a plan and going, going into it, you know, knowing that you need to make your days and you need to create an environment where the cast can excel. And also, you know, you keep up, you keep up with what needs to be shot day to day. You know, you can fall into holes pretty quickly. But, you know, I, I like as, you know, a filmmaker, I, you know, I, I'm obsessed with preparation. And I was, 
I was so blessed with the, into the cast who were, you know, line perfect and knew their characters. And we took everything that we could out of rehearsal and, you know, brought it to set. And I think that that was a huge help, you know, and, and it allows room for inspiration, you know, for moments of spontaneity. When you have a plan and stick to it, you know, you can kind of go off piece because, you know, you know, you've always got somewhere to come back to. Um, I'm so grateful to my department heads as well, you know, in terms of the way that Michael Merriman, the cinematographer, was able to sort of create this rich, lustrous, but very cold world, you know, that, that you know, this, well, actually, and Jeremy Stanbridge, the production designer, the sort of, you know, the gilded cage that was the Clark's house, you know, where all the money and all the success and nice cars and swimming pools, it all means nothing when you're bereft when tragedy has haunted you and grief like kind of hangs over your home you know it was in, in you know we wanted that we you know had very lofty aspirations I think as all filmmakers do and we wanted to you know make a, a world that felt big and expansive and exciting well that's it. I mean it looked like a an a sort of budget picture and, and like we were talking before in the 90s that would have been the kind of movie you would have went to see on a on a Friday or Saturday night, you know that kind of unlawful entry, almost basic instinct adult thriller. Mm -hmm. um, is that something? Looking at your filmography, it, it, that seems to be the type of film that you continue to want to make. Is that something that is your through line as a as a career as a director? That's a very good point, Niall. I don't think I'd really thought of that. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely something that interests me. Like, you know, I'm, um, I re like, I love those thrillers, which, you know, I love those 90s thrillers, which in themselves talk back to this, this you know, the early 70s and 60s thrillers and they themselves talk back to, you know, the 40s noirs and, and on and on and on, you know. But I think, um, yeah, I think I, I, I look like, you know, I love twists and turns. I love, I love, re I love reading books and watching films where you just don't quite know where you are. You have that unsettled, that sort of disorientated feel of not quite knowing what's going to come next and yeah i think i think for me that's what really grabbed me about every breath and you know i was very i was very interested in the how rooted in reality it was like as a story uh, you know like what it had to say about grief and about family and about you know very human emotions very human you know tr you know trials that we all have to deal with and like we've all experienced grief we all know what that can do to our soul and to be able to sort of you know blend that with a really exciting and you know psychologically challenging thriller i i, I found really exciting I, I definitely enjoyed doing that as a filmmaker the thriller with zach braff is that is that the the next thing that you're working on it's it's on imdb which is often unreliable so <laughs> the website of lies yes um, I know it's it, it. There's lots of uh, lots of things bubbling bubbling around. That's a, and that's a that's a great a great project and a, and a very interesting one. But at the moment, there's lots of uh, sitting around in my pants watching Friends on Comedy Central. I think that's what everyone's doing. Um, how do you the way to be? <laughs> how do you think things will open up in the, in the next while? Do you, how do you think your job will change or remain the same? Well, I mean, film is nothing if not adaptable. Like, I mean, it's you know things change at light speed on a film set anyway and film crews you know they are amazing at you know navigating problems and finding a way through like you know look, look the world is opening up like thank god for 
vaccines and for everyone pulling together, you know, feel, you know, things, things are back shooting all over the world and COVID protocols are, are there. Like I, I, you know, I've been writing, so I haven't actually shot since this brave new world started, but you know, look, a lot of it, you've got to be, it's, it's, it's going to be tough because a lot of it is about communication and, and trust and intimacy with your actors and being able to communicate quickly with your crew and face visors and masks are not conducive to that, but you know, we've got to figure it out. Um, you know, look, I, I think, you know, as I understand it, uh, you know, it is, it is working. Like people are, people are making great films like within the COVID environment and please God, eventually it will get back to normal. But in the meantime, you know, we've got to suck it up and, and kind of get on with it to be honest. The script had been around for a while, sort of 10 years or so. Did you change anything once it came to you or did you just shoot as is? Uh, it's a good question. Actually, the, the script was, was around longer than that. Um, Richard Lewis, the producer, um, I think he, he originally optioned it, I think in about 20 years ago now. Uh, his wife was a, is a, a psychotherapist and she, he, <laughs> who saw clients at home, uh, and he read it and said, you'll never see a client at home again. <laughs> He's like, um, but no, I think it had been for various incarnations. And um, in, terms of, in terms of changing it, like I, I you know, I, I always want to adapt, be able to adapt the script to, to actors and to locations and to make sure that we can, we can fit, we can mold the script to best suit what we have available. Like, so um, yeah, we, there, were definite, there were definitely tweaks and changes, but I think what attracted everyone to this project was this brilliant script. And, um, you know, the, the dark heart of it remained the same, if, if not for, for some changes we made in terms of what we wanted to do, you know, in terms of the actors and in terms of the cinematography. We, you know, the things, things evolved, but for the most part, the script stayed the same. That's big. I was wondering if you had have done it in the studio system, because again, without going into, there are some character choices in the final act that you, you know would have been softened if, if it had have been, you know, for, for a, a larger audience that, let's say, is, is that something that you were aware of uh, as, a, as a filmmaker? Yeah. Yeah, look, it's the gift, it's the gift of the curse of independent filmmaking, isn't it? You, you, you have a relatively blank canvas uh, in terms of, in, you know, in terms of making films independently, you're not, not the studios necessarily hamper you at all. Like, you know, it would be very disingenuous of me to say that studios, you know, f you know filter everything. I don't think they, they do at all. But you do have a freedom, and especially when, like I was, you're blessed with very brave actors who are happy to go to quite dark places and are happy to, to really push the boundaries of their character. And I think you, you, you are able to bring something very different to it. Um, yeah, I mean, look, look, the flip side of that is there's never enough money, there's never enough time, and you're always chasing the light, right? But <laughs> why, why we do it? We wanted to be rich, but it'll be bankers. Yeah, I mean, you started your career working for big budget films, kind of further down the ladder, and you are now in charge of, I'll say, lower budget films. Do you prefer working in that realm, or would you want to play with the big toys and the helicopters and the, the cranes and the CGI? Oh, I want the toys. Bring on the, <laughs> you know, bring on the Russian arm. Bring on the explosions. No, I, look, I, was, I was very blessed as an assistant director, and I, I worked very hard, and uh, you know, I, I was I was I was very lucky to be able to be part of mega, mega you know blockbuster studio movies and, and work very high up on them. Um, and there is a precision and there is a discipline 
on those huge sets, which comes from, you know, the size of the toys and how big the explosions are, and you know, and how much money is at stake to execute with precision and to execute on time and to make sure you're fully prepared and you know your stuff and you're everything's ready to go when the when the camera turns. Um, so I think I try and bring that that discipline and that uh, that sense of everything being as perfect as you possibly can with everything you know to to lower budget films and look you know it's it, that 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 quest for perfection is is sort of what drives all filmmakers isn't it you want to tell the best possible story you can in the best way you can and yeah i was very blessed and i i, I worked with some amazing directors and i worked on some amazing films and sort of learned my trade doing that and hopefully i can apply it you know the way i do as a director it's been absolutely a joy talking to you. I, I loved the movie and I really do hope that it's a, a huge success. So, so thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed it. That's, that's really lovely to hear. Thank you, mate. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts and I hope that you tell your friends about it. That's it for this time and I'll see you at the movies. Mm-hmm.